Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. I'm just thinking of the days when Vicky and I had little ones and what really lies ahead for these guys. Pray for them. Pray for them. It's great times, but it's also lots and lots of work. Uh, we're to John chapter 5 this morning in our uh, John series. And before I get into the scripture this morning, I want to just talk with you. It was about a year ago at this time that we embarked on a series uh, on well-being, on, on soul health. And what we used as our main kickoff text was John chapter 5, the, the, the uh, beginning section that uh, talked about the disabled man by the pool in, um, in uh, Bethesda. And so it was thought that periodically an angel would come and touch these waters and the first one that got into the waters would, would be healed. Unfortunately, this man who Jesus was about to address here in John chapter 5 was an invalid for 30, uh, 38 years, and he could never make it to the water. Uh, and they thought that an angel would stir the water, and whoever got in the pool first would get healed, okay? Um, and so we talked on that last year quite a bit that Jesus asked this question of this invalid, do you want to be well? And really that question was not, do you want to be healed? It's, do you want to be well, body, soul, and spirit? Do you want to really be all God wants you to be? And so we spent 19 weeks talking on the first half of John chapter 19. So guess what I'm not going to do this morning? I'm not going to talk on the first half of John chapter 19. Because you know why? We spent 19 weeks last year talking on that. That's probably enough, amen? So this morning what I want to do is jump down to after this miracle, because Jesus healed this guy, and it was a marvelous thing. Um, but he did it on the Sabbath. And that really upset the religious leaders of that time. And it's interesting that Jesus' defense basically was this, I know my identity in God. And uh, that's all he presented as, as his justification for doing what he had done. And, and I think when I'm looking at this scripture, and I think what God wants us to understand this morning is who we really are in Jesus. And he wants our identity to be rooted and established in the, in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So with that kind of perspective, we're going to go to John chapter 5 now, and I'm going to begin to read to you from verse 16 and read through verse 30 this morning. And this is really the part, part of, of John where Jesus gives a defense of who he is and, and what he's doing and why he's doing it. So listen to the scripture. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he was healing the man by the pool on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father's always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, 
That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life. Now what is meant by done what is good? It has received by faith the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Because that's what all the prophets prophesied toward. Okay, so this isn't who done good, who lived life, you know, in, in, in doing work so well that they merit some salvation. That's not what this is saying. Just to clarify that. And to those who have done what is evil, rejected God's gift of salvation, will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So Jesus here, he's put on the spot by these religious leaders. They're, they're not seeing the miracle. They're seeing their religiosity. They're seeing that Jesus is violating what they perceive uh, to be how to observe the Sabbath. So they begin to persecute him. And in his defense, what does Jesus do? Nothing but says, my identity is found in God alone. God alone. What he tells me to do, I do. What I see him doing, I do. And I and my father are in harmony in this regard. Um, and that even made them a little bit more upset because he was linking himself to God the Father. But his assurance, his defense was basically, I know who I am in God. And nothing you say will derail me from that. So why, I want to ask you a question. What defines your identity here? I have that question for you on your note-taking guide. And I want you to think about that and be really honest. If, if, if I were to sit with you and we're having a little cup of coffee and eating, you know, a Krispy Kreme donut so all your defenses are down, and I said, hey, what one or two things really define you as a person? What would you say? Yesterday, Vicki and I took advantage of the, you know, 40-degree weather in Brookings, South Dakota to clean out our garage for a while. You ever do that on a nice day? Yeah, I don't want to wait till summer. It's too nice to do that. So we're cleaning out the garage, and we're pulling down some of our old tubs of scrapbooks. That's what they used to be called back in the day when you had to take pictures and put them in a book. Um, and, and some old, old uh, high school uh, yearbooks and even a junior high yearbook. And I'm looking through some of these things, and I'm looking at some of my pictures. I played basketball in high school and did some of those kinds of things. And there was a student that took some really good pictures. And in fact, I said to Vicki, who took these pictures? These are great, you know? And I'm remembering that era of my life, and I'm thinking a little bit about this message. And honestly, when I was in high school, what defined me quite a bit more than I want to admit was athletics. And sports results, they just had way too much importance in my life. Now, I understand when you're a young person, you kind of go through these phases and you grow out of them, hopefully, right? But let me ask you this. When it comes to your own life, does something like your athletic skills define you as a person? We live in a town that's a Division I school, so we have a lot of academics here. We have a faculty that's, you know, large here. And oftentimes in a town like this, guess what can define us? Our academics and how well we do in, in that regard. Sometimes what defines a person and where they really 
get their self-worth is out of their work ethic. I cannot work people. I'm, I'm going to be a really, really good, good worker. Or how you look. Man, that's a big defining point for people anymore. It seems like, you know, looks matter so much. Even though we say looks don't matter. We're really into this kind of, you know, stay in shape culture, right? And, and look uh, physically uh, uh, fit. And um, sometimes a family can define you or your spouse can define you. So really in your life, when I ask you this question, and you're being really honest. What, what defines you right now? It's important to be honest before the Lord. What defines you? I loved an interview that Kirk Cousins had after they won that first playoff game, the Vikings, um, against New Orleans. And, and I loved how he spoke to uh, some things that were being said about him. He had never won a postseason playoff game until this last season. And everybody in the media seemed to be jumping on this bandwagon of saying, oh, that's got to be this big weight hanging over his head. It's got to be troubling to him and blah, 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 blah. He won't be a real quarterback till he wins, you know, one of these playoff games. And so he has this interview after they beat, after the Vikings beat the New Orleans Saints. Kirk Cousins, who is a football quarterback of the Vikings. I better say this stuff. I'm going to assume that you know any of this, okay? Has this interview with Chris Myers. And Myers kind of asked the questions that all the media have been asking. He said this. This is what Myers says. I know you're deep in your own faith, and I know that you try to handle like a professional, but you can't block out all the outside noise. And what he meant by that was all these people saying, this had to be a weight hanging over your head. And here's how Cousins responds. Listen to this. Ultimately, it's all about the team. I'm just trying to do my part for this team. Help us win, he said. The quarterback carries weight, but that comes with the job. Like you said, my faith is important to me. It's the foundation of my life. And ultimately, that is where I gain my peace and strength. Listen now closely. This is what Cousin says. Win or lose today, God is still on the throne, and I take comfort in that. And I listened to that short little interview with Chris Myers, and I said, Amen! It doesn't have to be hard. Our testimonies don't have to be complicated. Cousins basically said, I know who I am in God. And this football game doesn't define me. Amen? That defines me. And that's what I want to talk with you on for a few moments today. Here's our big thought to the message. We need to look to Jesus and look like Jesus if we want to have a healthy identity. We need to look to Jesus and look like Jesus to have a healthy identity. So I want to talk to, how, to you about how Jesus did this very kind of thing, how he actually fleshed this out in this kind of defense he makes to the ones that were per- persecuting him because he healed on the Sabbath. First of all, Jesus realizes dependence on the Father. If you're going to have a healthy identity in God. If you're going to be well in your soul, you're going to be dependent on God. It's just going to be how you do your life. He readily acknowledged Jesus. I can't do anything but what the Father does, what I see him doing. I can only do what, what the Father has me to do. The Father loves me. That, that, that's a healthy kind of identity. My Father loves me, and he shows me all that he's doing. There's just this thing just like, this thing just, you know, smells of health when you hear it. And then Jesus lists the amazing things given to him by the Father, raising the dead, giving them life. Father's entrusted him with judgment. 
So Jesus has modeled this dependency on God, and dependency is how you experience well-being of the soul, how you experience a healthy identity. So I'm going to challenge you with three ways this morning that I think we can promote dependence in our lives when it comes to following God. Three ways that we can promote dependence when it comes to following God. One, pray with a sense of dependency. Pray with a sense of dependency. So in humility, pray that you're utterly dependent on the Lord. Acknowledge that you live and move and have your being in God. Acknowledge that God gives you the very breath that you breathe. That if he were to move himself and his Holy Spirit from us, we would cease to be. Pray that way in that kind of understanding because that means you're looking to Jesus and you're beginning to look like Jesus and that is developing then a healthy identity. Secondly, secondly, give with a sense of dependence. The Bible speaks on money all the time. If you read the New Testament, it talks on money a, a tremendous amount of time. Why do you think that is? Jesus didn't need any of our money. Amen? Honestly, the Apostle Paul didn't need our money. The writers of the New Testament, they honestly didn't need our money. Why do they write our money so much? Were they looking forward to the day when there's a church like this that wants your money? I'm being sarcastic. You know why he talks the money so much? Because we so easily depend on money. We so easily trust it. We so easily live to make money, and we have the illusion that this will then make us happy and fulfilled. And giving is a means of grace to loose you from the dominance of money. And money is a terrible taskmaster. It will destroy your soul. And so giving with a sense of dependency on God is a way as a way of looking to Jesus and looking like Jesus and becoming dependent and reliant upon God. It's a way to let go of the controlling nature of money and instead acknowledge I'm under the sovereignty and the control of God. So when you give, make sure that somewhere accompanying that giving is this prayer of dependency. God, I'm giving today because really what I'm saying is I'm relying upon you. Amen? Third thing, third way to give, uh, get a greater amount of dependency. Now, I, and these things I'm sharing with you are not necessarily easy this morning, but they're good. Fast to create a greater sense of dependence. And we don't talk about fasting a lot in church anymore, it seems like. It's so incredibly important to fast to create a sense of dependency on the Lord. So when I use the word fast, you can fast lunch someday. Just skip lunch. Uh, you can fast for a whole day. You can fast for two or three days. It, it, it just depends on what God's laying on your heart. But what you want to do and why you want to fast is because that makes you hungry. Anybody fast in here? Usually after eight nine, ten hours of fasting, you're really hungry. And you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to pray this way. God, is my stomach hungers for food, so my soul hungers for you. It's supposed to be this kind of, you know, impulse 
that, you, you, you know, deepens your prayer. And you can pray this way, Jesus, you know what? I acknowledge that you are the only true bread, the only true food for my soul. And I readily admit to you, Lord Jesus, that I am way more concerned about my daily meals at times than I'm concerned about following after you and having you satisfy the hunger of my heart. It has a way of just getting you deeper in connection with, with God. It opens your eyes. It, it, it creates receptivity to the Holy Spirit. So three ways that we can, you know, facilitate and pursue dependence. Pray, give, and fast in the right ways. Let's pray right now. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for Jesus and how he modeled dependency on you when those around him, the religious leaders of his day, were persecuting him for the healing of this invalid on the Sabbath. I want to thank you that he just, he didn't really say, well, this is why I'm doing this. He's, he, he, instead, he said, I'm dependent on the Father. I'm only doing what the Father does. And the Father loves me and shows me what to do. I want to thank you that he just modeled this dependency. And I, I know that a lot of us, I, I, I throw myself into this group, Lord, we, we want to we wanna go deeper in you, Jesus. We want to look more like you. And so we understand that part of the way that that can be achieved is by pursuing dependence in the way that we pray and give and fast, Lord. And so I pray that you grace us to do these very things and that we would grow in our dependence upon you so that we would look to you, Jesus, and we look like you. In your name, Jesus, amen. There's a second thing that really was uh, apparent in this uh, discord by Jesus here as he's answering these ones who are persecuting him when it came to uh, his identity. And, and this is point number two in your note-taking guide. Jesus knew he came to earth with a mission. He knew, I, I'm here on purpose. Um, he said this very thing in verse 24 of the scripture I read to you this morning. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, it will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came with this mission that overrode everything else that he did in his life. It was the main uh, reason for his existence, and he never, ever strayed from that mission. And now, of course, his mission was ultimately to march to the cross and to redeem the world from its sin. So when we desire to look like Jesus, when we look to Jesus, we're going to at some point run into this idea that we have to be on mission. We have to be on mission. If we're going to have a really healthy identity in God, it has to be one that has the word mission involved in it. And mission will permeate all areas of our lives. We aren't people who do life and add a little mission in <laughs> when it's convenient. We are people who understand that our life is a mission. And we're on purpose following after God with intentionality. Most of us know about the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus said to us, go into all the world making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And we know that. It's the Great Commission, and we read it, and we go, okay, cool. Uh, 
that's a general calling on every one of our lives. But then God has a specific calling for each one of us. He has given you a specific realm of influence in your life. He has gifted every single person in here who's a follower of Jesus Christ with gifts of the Holy Spirit to endure with power from on high. He has also recreated you. You are now a masterpiece in Christ Jesus with gifts and talents and, 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 and abilities. And he's saying to you, be intentional with what I've given you. Do it on purpose. Be on mission. Do your life purposefully. So live your life as an everyday missionary. It's what I, I use as language. Um, probably won't use that much anymore, but just understand. Live your life as an everyday missionary. This means simply this. I have intentionality in how I'm doing my life. So God has placed me in this certain work group or this certain family, this certain neighborhood. Okay, if you're going to be a missionary to your neighborhood, you're going to be a missionary to your workplace, or you're going to be on mission, you know, um, with your friends, what do you do? First of all, you pray for them. Amen? You start being concerned about their spiritual well-being, and you start just praying for them by name. It's not complicated. It's not hard. Second, you know what the second thing you do? You listen to them. You just start talking to people with, and truly trying to understand their lives. What are you going through? What are things are you facing? Oh, that's hard, you know. How many kids do you have? How's that going? People love to talk about their kids. You just start having conversation and you earnestly are concerned about their well-being. You begin to exhort them and encourage them and bring the light of Christ into their lives. They don't have to know you're doing it. Just do it. And then when opportunity affords itself, you might share with them on what makes you tick and why you love the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't win anyone to God. The Holy Spirit does that. We testify. Amen? And, and we count on the Holy Spirit to do the work of winning. But we testify, man. We testify. And we give glory to God for what he's doing in our lives. Hear this. I forgot to say this first hour, but I get better every hour I do this. For many, their Christian experience has been one of consumerism, and shame on us as a church. We've kind of almost facilitated that. What this means is this. We just want to get people to come to church, and a lot of people think that fulfills my obligation. If I don't like your church, I'll just go to another church and take my you know, patronship there. And it's this very selfish, consumeristic kind of view of Christianity is utterly, utterly wrong. Jesus says, come, follow me, and die. That's what he says. That's the invitation he makes to us. Come, follow me. Pour out your life for me. Sacrifice for me. And he, he tells us elsewhere in Scripture, take up your cross and follow me. Now, that doesn't mean we take up the cross that Christ took up. He took up that cross once and for all. We don't have to take up that cross. He died. He's the only one that can redeem our souls. But when it says, take up your cross and follow me, what Jesus is saying is what I just shared with you. Take up the calling I have on your life. Take up the burden of those around you. Take up the particular influence that I've given you. Take up the gifts that I've endued you with. And follow hard after me and minister my name in that place. Amen? That's what he's saying when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Boy, I wish I would have shared that first hour. <laughs> oh, well. Too many just meander through life <sighs> with no direction. The Lord wants to aim your life. He wants to shoot your life. He wants to, you know, be that archer that hits the target with your life being the bow. I mean, the arrow, excuse me. Um, lastly, this is really 
where we start getting deep, if we really want to look to Jesus and look like Jesus, Jesus sought to please the Father. The scripture we read this morning ends simply by saying that Jesus sought to please his Father. Too depth in our spiritual life is when we move from duty to devotion, when we move from having to do to wanting to do, when we become ones who say, how can I please God in the way I live? How can I please God in the way I work? How can I please God in my family life? When we move to that realm of thinking, we have just moved into deepness in our spiritual experience. I love what happens when Jesus is transfigured and the disciples are there with him, a, a few of them. And he's shown and he's bright and he's brilliant. And of course, they don't know what to do and they're dumbfounded. And Peter says, hey, let's build them. Should we build you a little enclosure here? <sighs> I'm thinking, Peter, shut up. <laughs> You're so clueless. But I think I probably would have been the stunned too. And God just blows right through that silliness. And he says to these disciples for their benefit, this is my son in whom I am well what? Pleased. There's something deep about pleasing. And God wants to move us as people to the point where we want to please him. And that becomes what drives us as followers. When that happens, guess what? We just entered into the realm of depth in our spiritual lives. So I want to ask you a question. What does it mean for you to live to please the Lord? Write something down. Maybe God wants me just to do this because it would just please him. And I'm just going to start pushing into that particular thing that God's laying on my heart. I want to conclude with two simple questions here for you to reflect on. One is this. How is your soul this day? I've been having some soul talk with you really today. How is it with your soul? We've been reading a book as a staff entitled The Marks of a Movement. It's about the early Wesleyan Methodist movement that just was huge. It was a huge awakening, huge revival, whatever language you want to use. And one of the things that, that John Wesley did that I think is really insightful and wise was he had these accountability groups of people that would meet, and they would ask each other this question, how is it with your soul? And what they meant was, what's going on in your heart of hearts? What's going on in the depth of your being that you don't want to share with anybody else? How are you doing? And so I'm asking you that question today. How is it with your soul? Is what I'm sharing with you resonating with it at all? Where do you find your identity? That's the next question. Are you finding your identity in Jesus? There's nothing wrong with sports. I love sports. I still do sports. Amen? I still like to really compete. In fact, one of the guys in Wilson, I don't know if this was a compliment or not, we were introducing ourselves to a new player that happened to show up there when I was pastoring at Williston. And Lance said this, this is Steve, he's pastors at New Hope, but he doesn't play like a pastor. <laughs> I said, what does that mean? <laughs> it meant was I was over the top competitive. I said, okay, yeah, I'm competitive. It doesn't mean you don't have to, you have to lay down your competitiveness and stuff. And it, it, but it means it needs to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when you knock somebody down, help them back up. Amen? <laughs> I'm trying to, kind of got myself in a box there. I have to get out of really quick here. So um, 
This morning, we did some dedications, and I love that moment in our church when we can do some dedications. And here's what I want to say to all of you that are raising children, um, and this probably actually applies to all of us. One of the best gifts that we can give to our children is that we firmly establish them in their identity in Jesus Christ. Because lots of other things will seek to, to form that identity for them that they're going to have to work through someday and get out of the way if it's not Jesus Christ. So I, I encourage you, parents, I encourage you, make sure, make sure your children are established in their identity in Jesus. And even if they're grown, that's our state now with Vicki and me, our kids are grown. You have to go back to them and you have to really kind of work on that with them still. I pray for my kids all the time. And I always pray, Holy Spirit, fill them. And may they just be set apart to you, you know, and in love with you. That's the desire of my heart. You know, I know that's the desire of your heart, God. And so make sure that you put that identity of Jesus into your children. Uh, I'm going to quit here this morning, but I just want you to note this in your note-taking guides. There is a further study thing. And we're not going to cover the rest of John chapter 5. We're going to leave that for you to look at yourself if you're interested. But note this. Jesus gives this really profound teaching that his identity is found in, 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 in God. And he gives us these three things of dependency and mission and pleasing God as kind of uh, who he is. Why would they believe him? He gives some proofs of why to believe. Remember who he's talking to? He's talking to the ones that are persecuting him. And he uses a very Jewish kind of tradition. He talks about that if two or three give witness to something, it's true. That's stated in Deuteronomy chapter 19. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then he goes on to say who those witnesses are. They're, you know, John the Baptist, God the Father, and who else? Moses. Now remember, who was he talking to? He's talking to a bunch of Jewish leaders who are persecuting him. Who's high in their regard? Well, God the Father and Moses, they reluctantly said John the Baptist. So he says, by these three witnesses, what I say is true. So if you read the rest of the John chapter 5, all it's saying is what he taught was true, and here's why. Amen? I just want you to understand that, and you can do that on your own. Um, let's pray. And then we're going to close out with a a song here this morning. Lord God, I want to thank you for uh, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, I want to thank you that, you know, your identity was just so firmly established in the Father. You had this total dependency upon him. You were so on mission for him. And you just were devoted to pleasing him. Boy, if we can just get those three things, dependency, mission, and pleasing down, Lord, I think that'll be really a healthy identity for us and it'll be well with our souls so i pray that very thing this morning lord that whether it be through prayer or fasting or giving but whatever we do may we we just have the sense of dependency upon you god and i pray that we understand our lives are not an accident our placements are not an accident where we're at what we're doing is not an accident who we're in a relationship not an accident that we just be intentionally on purpose for you god being on mission wherever we find ourselves and jesus more than anything may we live to please you we just live to please you. God, may these things then create in us this really healthy identity. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you this morning. You're our high priest, that one mediator between us and God the Father. Jesus, you know what? You're that sympathetic priest too. You've gone through what we've gone through. You understand all our weaknesses, and you intercede on our behalf to the Father. You're our advocate. You send us the person of the Holy Spirit to live right inside us so that we can be more than conquerors in this life. Jesus, we just marvel at who you are this morning, and we worship you. 
as we sing a bit about you and we sing a, 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 this closing song, may it just be heartfelt worship of you this morning. In your name, Jesus, and by your blood. And all God's people said,